Welcome to the Shema Bible Study. I am Rabbi Jerry, and thank you for joining me on this Valentine's evening. We're a little bit of a remnant here today in person. We'll see how it's like online, uh, but I definitely understand being uh, busy on this day. But those of you who are here and joining us, you're in for a treat because we're going to be going through the entirety, Lord willing, of chapter 22. Um, but before we get started proper, let me post my notes for you guys to get. We'll see this on YouTube. And as always, please let me know if the notes work. Please let me know if the sound is good. We'll say hi to some people and we'll get rolling here. We might go a couple minutes over today. We'll see how many we'll see how many soapboxes Rabbi Jerry gets on today, because the end of Revelation, you know, I'm not gonna be able to help myself. All right, I'm being told that the sound oh, I'm saying God is good. God is good, Jim. Thank you. I said sound is good. <laughs> All right, let's say hi on uh, Facebook, as well as YouTube. Hi to Tammy, to Dottie, to Heather, to Cindy, to Linda and Pete, to Jim and to Millie. <clears throat> Linda is saying good, which I'm assuming means the sound. Hello to Paula. Always good to have you with us. And Jean as well. And Jim. And hello to our, uh, looks like 12 people on YouTube. Probably watching, most of you guys watching from the Shema website. Hello to, to Wilbur and to Brad. Perfect. Take some water here. And all you guys here tonight, you guys have copies of the notes. Good, good, good. Perfect. All right. Ellie is saying the sound is good. Wonderful. All right. Oh, Deb is saying there is no sound. Hello to Randy. Let me... I think Deb, uh, well, of course she can't hear me, uh, or he, uh, it's probably she. Um, is everybody else having sound issues? Hello and happy birthday to you, Randy. All right. So give this a second just to make sure. And hello to Sue on YouTube and to uh, Nadira on YouTube as well. Linda says, no. I'm thinking, hello to Alan. I'm assuming, Linda, I, please give me more than yes or no to this. Otherwise, we get more confused. But I'm assuming you're saying you have no sound issues. Like, in other words, you have sound. Oh, well, Randy can definitely hear me because she said thank you. So I'm going to assume it might just be you, Deb. Put a note here. Um, please refresh the page. I help you. And he says sound is good. Okay, so I'm gonna assume things are okay, which is dangerous, but we're gonna we're gonna go with that. All right. We're gonna pray and get rolling here then tonight. Let's pray. Father King Lord, thank you uh, for this amazing study in Revelation. Thank you for uh, the ending you have provided us. Thank you that we know that all these things we have read about in Revelation will come to pass. I pray you be with us tonight as we Consider your word. Please give me a mind to teach, Lord, and give us ears to hear what it is that you have to say. I pray this, B'Shem Yeshua. Amen? All right, so what I uh, what we're going to do tonight, like I said, is go through all of Revelation 22. And then next week, Lord willing, Rabbi Glenn is going to be going over Revelation 22 as well, pointing out some things that he wants to point out and things that I may have glossed over, why to leave, you know, make sure there's there's a lot we could talk about here in this chapter. And then the hope is the week after, the plan is for Rabbi Glenn and myself to team teach, so that'll be a treat, um, for a wrap-up of Revelation. And we're planning to do that hopefully in just one week. I have a feeling we might go a little bit over in time, because I'm sure there's a lot of things we both want to say, so we'll see how that goes. And then afterwards, uh, we'll be beginning our new series. Um, and you'll just have to stay tuned for that, although you guys here tonight, I, I, I told the people here tonight what we're doing, so um, 
but we'll, uh, we'll give you more announcements on that when we get a little bit closer to that. All right. So, Revelation 22, picking up in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And hello to you, Kina, as well. So chapter... Uh, I have a misprint here. I'm going to have to fix this. Chapter 22 begins with the angel who showed John the new Jerusalem, now taking him to see the river of life, right? So this is a continuation of chapter 21 here in these first couple of verses, what the new Jerusalem, the new heavens and earth is all about. And what can be kind of frustrating about these verses is you want to know more. Right, You read chapter 21, you read this, especially this small section, 22, and you get to the epilogue, which we're going to be getting to go, that's it? You know, like, why don't we get more? Well, this is what God chose to tell us about. And in some ways, I think some of the things that go on here are just beyond our imagination at this point. Um, but these verses connect back to the beginning of Genesis, with the Garden of Eden, with the river and the tree of life. I titled this study tonight, The Beginning and the End, which is the title for Messiah Yeshua here in this chapter, as well as in the first chapter of Revelation. But in many ways, chapter 22 of Revelation is, an, is a beginning and an end, right? We're getting to the end of the Bible, but in many ways it wraps back not just to Revelation 1, but also to Genesis 1 and 2. Are really We're looking back at both of these things. And so it's not really a clean ending in the sense of, you know, we just, it's just all over, but it all connects back. So in Genesis 2.10, we read that a river flowed out of Eden to the garden. Here in Revelation, the river of life flows from the throne of God into the middle of the New Jerusalem. The New Jerusalem should be seen as a new and even better Eden, right? That's really 21 and 22. When we think of the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem, it really is all calling back to the Garden of Eden. But it isn't just a restoration of how good things were then. It's even better. You know, this is, be, like, this is what we should have always been like in the Garden of Eden, but it's even greater than what Adam and Eve experienced in the Garden. The new uh, Eden was a place where human beings could dwell with God in paradise, in the New Jerusalem, we see Eden restored but also enhanced. And this is one of the big differences, is there is no longer a division between heaven and earth, and the joy of the New Jerusalem with Messiah Yeshua eclipses the joy of Eden, right? There's no more division, right? In the time of the Garden of Eden, heaven and earth were still separate, right? God would come down to the garden, right? Adam and Eve could not go up to heaven at that time. Um, but here in the New Jerusalem, things are different. God is dwelling with us in this greater Eden in an even greater way. And the joy, you know, I mean, sure, Eden was amazing and wonderful, way better than what we experience now on earth. The New Jerusalem is even better. So the river of life is a real river with powerful spiritual benefits. This is the river alluded to in John 4.14, Revelation 7.17, and 22.17. While we are not told specifically, we can reasonably assume the throne of God, notice it is one throne for God the Father and the Lamb, is in the center of the city, like the throne earlier in heaven, right? Going back in Revelation, when we would see the throne of God in heaven, right? We were in the early chapters, when we talk about the angels, right? The elders, these... Uh, uh, the four living creatures, right? They're all encircling the throne, right? Which is the center of heaven. And the angels with different proximities are, are closer or farther away from God's throne, right? The throne, though, is the center of heaven. The throne of God really is the center of revelation, right? Because that's the all the things that happen, right, emanate from the throne, right? When God says it's time for the bulls, when God says it's time for the seals, it's time for this, it's time for 
um, me to return. It's time for the new heavens and the new earth, right? These are all decrees given from the throne. Well, now that throne, as we saw in the previous chapter, is now on earth in the new Jerusalem, in the center, most likely, of the new Jerusalem. And that makes sense, right? New Jerusalem is the center of God's new creation, right? It makes sense that God would be in the center of the new Jerusalem. And all these beautiful things, the river, the tree of light, right, emanates from the throne. And so the Lord is seen as the source of life for all who live in this wonderful city. Even in New Jerusalem, we are still dependent on the Lord. Not in the same way as we are in this life. We don't know if we're going to eat or drink. You know, it talks about feasting. We might not need to eat or drink. We saw this with Messiah Yeshua and his resurrection. Um, but we are still dependent on God, you know, for our emotional, spiritual needs in the New Jerusalem. The picture of the river and the tree of life in these verses draws from Ezekiel 47, 1 through 12. That's a big passage for what we're looking at tonight. We're not going to go through it, but that's one to highlight and to compare this to. And Ezekiel 14, 8. The idea of restorative waters that give life from the Lord is also found in places such as Isaiah 45, 6 through 9, Jeremiah 2, 13. It is clear from the Old Testament, when you look at these passages, it's clear from the Old Testament that the Lord alone is the source of this life-giving water. Now you, hopefully, as believers, will go, duh, Rabbi Jerry, who else would it be? But again, think about who this book is being written to. Remember the original audience, right? There's paganism, there's emperors, right? Even us reading it today, you know, people are very confused about who God is and our dependency on him. This just, again, reinforces that great theme of Revelation that God is the source of life, he's the sovereign king, and to get these living waters, you have to go through him. Which, again, harmonizes with all of the Old Testament, it harmonizes with, like I said in John, with what Messiah Yeshua himself taught, right? We were just talking about this a few weeks ago at Shema. We'd be going through the Gospel of John every Saturday. We were talking about the Samaritan woman, right? If you knew who I am, what does Messiah Yeshua say? If you knew who I am, you would ask me to give you living water. Water way better than what you can get from this well right in front of us, right? He alone is the source of that living water. It is designed uh, to go from his city, Jerusalem, to all the peoples of the world. And so to reject the Lord is to reject his gift of living water. And this shows once again why unbelievers will not be able to experience this reality. Right? If you refuse to believe in God and make yourself loyal to him, to be a faithful witness, to be an overcomer, you will not have this tree. You will not have this water because it is not for you. Because you can't have the water without having the source of the water, which is God. You can't, you know, say, I want all these amazing things, but I don't want God as a part of it, right? I want to live forever, which is what a lot of people would say, right? Would you like to live forever? Sure. I never want to experience negativity again in my life? Sure. Um, I would love to have amazing fruit and to see all my loved ones and all these other wonderful blessings and promises. But then you go to, well, are you willing to put your trust in God to become a disciple, to be a faithful witness, to be an overcomer? Well, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves here, right? You know, I want all those things, but I don't want to have to change my life or, you know, go to the source of those things. You know, can you get it for me, right? It's kind of like this, right? Can you get it for me and give it to me and you just deal with God, right? But that's not how it works. Salvation is for each of us as individuals. Each of us need a personal relationship with the Lord. The tree of life is described as on both sides of the river and bearing 12 kinds of fruit, a fruit for each month for the healing, or it could be translated health of the nations. But you might be asking, how is a tree on both sides of a river? Well, it depends on who you ask. It could be that the branches, the tree branches over the river, right? So the idea that the trees on both sides of this river kind of spreading across it in some way. And some see this as maybe a picture of the cross itself, 
you know, this tree spanning across this river, making sort of a cross. It's an interesting idea. Um, but the Greek suggests a collective singular, which fits the many trees described in Ezekiel 47.12. So in other words, that this is, it's sort of like a bit of a play in words. It's referring to one tree, the tree of life, but also many trees that will have many different types of fruit. And when you look at Ezekiel 47.12, which this passage is clearly drawn from, it refers to many trees. Um, so while the singular tree of life will exist near the throne, there will most likely be many trees for food and healing. And again, this is the Garden of Eden, right? There was the tree of life, there was a tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but there was also, what does it say, many other types of trees, every other type of tree with many different kinds of fruit, right? And so this makes perfect sense. In the better Eden, we have not only the tree of life, but we have also many other wonderful trees. God as creator is providing these things for us. So, but what's interesting is when you compare this, these verses to Ezekiel 47, particularly verse 12, Revelation expands the vision of Ezekiel to emphasize that the trees are not just for the Jewish people, but for all the peoples of the world. I got to remove that little river there as well. We got a couple things that made it through my grammar check today. Um, but so this is the idea here, right? There's this beautiful river. God's the source of this river. There's these beautiful trees. The tree of life is here. God is the source of life, the tree of life. And to be able to eat from this tree, to drink from these waters, you have to be in a right relationship with God. Again, you should be going, well, God, Jerry, yes. I've read some Bible before chapter 22. But again, it's, it's being emphasized here. It's important. Any questions on those couple verses? All right. We continue on. And hello to Donna online. I don't see all the comments always, but if you have a question as well online, please feel free to post it as a comment on Facebook or YouTube. I do check YouTube. Verses 3 through 5, reigning with the Lord forever. We read, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and the night will be no more. They will need no light of a lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen to that. Amen? Well, the first part of verse 3 fulfills the promise of Zechariah 14.11, that there will be security for Jerusalem and no longer will there be any curse. But there is probably a deeper meaning to this use of curse connecting back to the Garden of Eden and the curse of original sin. In the new Jerusalem, humanity will be restored and there will be no longer any sinful curses. And this makes sense, right? This is also connected to God will not dwell in an unholy place, right? For God's throne to be here on this new earth, in this new Jerusalem, means that this is a holy place, undefiled, right? To be able, and we have to be holy and undefiled as well, which we get with our new resurrected bodies and through the sacrifice, right, of Messiah Yeshua. All these wonderful promises are accomplished by the Lord alone. We are once again told he will dwell in the center of this wonderful city, and our purpose as servants, or really slaves, is the real translation here, uh, will be to worship him. Those who worship God in spirit and in truth, like the angels. And just as heaven is centered around the worship of the Lord on his throne, so it will be in the new Jerusalem. In eternity, we will see the Lord's face and his name will be on our foreheads. You know, throughout human history, there have only been a few times where the Lord has revealed his presence and always in a veiled way. Whether it was at Mount Sinai, right, with the thunder and the lightning smoke, we had that parasha a few weeks ago, right? And the people were so terrified, they put Moses in front of them, said, Moses, we can't handle this. Stop it. We're going to die, right? 
And then later on, Moses himself, right, is hidden in the cleft of a rock, and the Lord passes before him, being instructed not to look. And even with Messiah Yeshua, who most clearly represents God to us, right, who came down to earth, he also came in a veiled way, right? Philippians tells us he lowered himself. He chose to put on the form of a man and lower himself in power and station for a time to be here on earth. Always veiled. And we see unveiled is always in heaven, but there are always visions, right? You know, Isaiah, right, when he sees God, and even then, right, he's covered by the angels, right, the wings that cover him. So he's still veiled even to Isaiah. And, and Isaiah seeing just a glimpse of him in that way in Isaiah 6. What does he say? I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips. He dare not stand before God. But here we can truly stand before God. Not just in terms of a judicial courtroom, right, and, and getting our, our, our sins wiped away. We talk about that a lot, right? The charges have been dismissed against. No, no. It's about dwelling with God forever. In the same way we can get together here and worship God, and I can see you, and we can talk, and we can and have a conversation, so it shall be with us and God. In an even greater way than Adam and Eve. Because he won't just sometimes be in the garden. He will be in the new Jerusalem forever. He will be on his throne there forever. Even greater access. In Revelation 3.12, Messiah Yeshua promised to put his name on the foreheads of all those who overcome. This promise is also fulfilled and shows forever who we belong to. And we talk a lot about the mark of the beast. What is the mark of the beast? Is it barcodes? It isn't. Is it COVID vaccines? It's not. Am I going to get tricked into getting it? No, you won't. Okay, it's a clear mark, whatever it is, that shows who you belong to. You take the mark of the beast, it means you belong to the beast. And that is why you can no longer be saved. I believe once you take that mark, you're donezo. There's no coming back from that. In the same way, if we receive the mark of the Lord, his name upon our foreheads. It tells us who we belong to, and nobody can take that away from us either, ever. This also calls back to Aaron, who wore on his forehead a plate declaring him holy to the Lord. And verse 5 here brings together this passage in part of Revelation 21, with the promise that the light of the Lord will replace the sun and lamps. His light will be more than sufficient for our needs. Fulfilling the promise of Revelation 3.21, Daniel 7.18, 1 Corinthians 6.2, we are promised to rule with him forever. This restores us to our place as stewards in the Garden of Eden, but also gives us even greater standing. All these things, the river of life, the tree of life, the light of the Lord, worshiping the Lord, and our ruling with him, are promised to continue, not just for a time, not just for a thousand years, but forever, and ever, and ever. There will be no end to these wonderful blessings. And we will have an eternity to experience the presence of the Lord so close to us. And this is the purpose of eternity and should be the desire of every true disciple. Is to rule with God, to enjoy his presence forever, worshiping him in spirit and in truth with fellow believers throughout all time. That's what heaven is about. You know, what do you do? How will I not get bored? What's the day-to-day -day look like? We're not given all those details. Because ultimately, they don't matter. What matters is, and what the focus of this vision is on, is about our relationship and purpose as it relates to our Creator. The restoration of our purpose, right? The restoration of our rulership that Adam, you know, fell very hard on but an even greater ruling, right? Ruling over the angels, Scripture tells us. 
And it's just joy everlasting. Well, how does that work? How do I dwell with God when God is here? You know, do I have to get in line to talk with him? We don't know. We don't know. But what we can be sure about is however it works out, it's going to be a great time. It's amazing. I always think of, and I, I have this as an insert here in my own notes, um, when we think about these things that we come to the end of sort of this vision, we're going into the epilogue now in the next verses. I always think of, uh, it's not my favorite of the C.S. Lewis books, The Last Battle. How many of you have read it? Have you guys read The Last Battle? Maybe some of you online. Okay, I'm going to spoil for you a tiny bit of the ending of The Last Battle. I'm so sorry, but so you can plug your ears if you really don't want to hear, but it's, it's at the, the Last Battle, right, the Chronicles of Narnia, right, C.S. Lewis's series, I'm assuming you guys are at least familiar with, with it in general, right, this idea of this fantasy world, Narnia, there's a lot of Christian overtones, Aslan the Lion is a, a Messiah figure, literally Messiah um, is the way the books kind of portray him. And so The Last Battle is sort of C.S. Lewis's version of Revelation, it's not perfect. There's even some theological issues to it. But I love, towards the very end, you know, all the people in the books go to basically heaven, right? There's this idea of a new heavens and a new earth here as well. And he has this line towards the very end of the book. He says, referring to all the characters, right? You see them all interacting with each other. He says, all their life in this world and all their adventures had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read, which goes on forever, in which every chapter is better than the one before. It's a great line. And that's what Revelation, that's what the new heavens and earth is about. All of our life here on this earth is just a blip. All of human history is just a blip in eternity. You know, our lives, while they obviously the things we do here on this earth definitely matter, what we have described for us in Revelation 21 and 22 is the beginning of the better story, or the really the beginning of the true story of, what, of our lives with God forever. And it's one of those things that it's beautiful to contemplate. It's beyond our imagination. But it's real, it's trustworthy, and this is why Revelation is a book of hope. It's a book of hope for those who overcome, will experience all of these wonderful things. Living with God forever, with all believers throughout all time, in this new heavens and this new earth and this new Jerusalem. Any questions? If you got some online, please let me know. We continue on in verse 6. And he said to me, These words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. So now we begin a transition from these visions to really the epilogue, the ending of this letter, right? So we're going we're gonna to get some points reinforced for us here. So while, with this vision concluded, we move now to the epilogue. The angel who has shown John these things reminds us that everything John has recorded is trustworthy and true. We know it is true because the Lord who inspires every prophet like John is reliable. These events will happen soon, and that is why he has chosen to reveal this to John and his readers through angels. This verse almost repeats Revelation 1.1 and serves as a bridge for the rest of this epilogue. You can really read these last verses from here forward with Revelation 1.1 open next to you, and you're going to be drawing a lot of lines between them because we're circling back to the beginning, the conclusion. So we have this idea that these words are trustworthy and true. We move to the next verse, verse 7. And behold, right, pay attention. Behold, look, I am coming soon. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. So verse 7 seems to transition to Messiah Yeshua speaking, the six of the seven Beatitudes in Revelation. If you remember way, way back, in the beginning of Revelation, Rabbi Glenn had a supplementary handout that gave you the seven Beatitudes found in Revelation. 
In this chapter, we have the sixth and then we have the seventh one. Messiah Yeshua also confirms these visions are true. So we have the angel confirming it's true. Now we have Messiah Yeshua confirming this is really true. He will return to make all these things come to pass. This verse is also a reminder that the words of the revelation are not just to inform us of the future. It isn't just to handle debates that we have about who the Antichrist is and to make cool YouTube videos and doc documentary videos and sell books and all the other stuff people do with Revelation, right? It's more than that. We are urged to keep the words of Revelation and experience blessing, which again, referencing Revelation 1, right? Blessed are those who hear and do what is written in this book, right? It's not just about hearing it, it's about doing. What does it mean to do? What does it mean to keep these words? Keeping the words of Revelation means obeying the commands of the Lord. If we obey, we will be an overcomer, a conqueror, depending on what translation you like to use, and experience all the blessings promised to us in this wonderful book. Again, we go back to Revelation 1, Revelation 2, Revelation 3, the letters to the seven Ecclesias, churches, called out ones. Over and over again, we have the promises for those who overcome, and we've seen in these last chapters the fulfillment of many of them, even in these first five uh, verses in this chapter alone. So we need to trust and obey and keep. What else do we need to know? So we go from the angel to Messiah Yeshua, and now we move to John. And we know it's John because he says, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. And when I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed them to me. We've seen this happen before a couple chapters ago, right? But he said to me, you must not do that. I am a fellow servant with you and your brothers, the prophets, and with those who keep the words of this book. Worship God. If you're someone who likes to underline your Bible, those are two words you should underline. Worship God. Not an angel, not the beast, not the Antichrist, not ourselves. Worship God. So once again, John is overwhelmed by an angel's presence and moves to worship. He's again told to only worship the Lord. But notice how the angel identifies John not just as a prophet, which he is, but as a fellow servant with the angel, right? He says, I'm your fellow servant. I'm like you, John. Different roles, but we're on the same team. And if we, the readers, keep the words of this book, we are also identified as fellow servants of the angels and the prophets of the Lord. So it's not just John and this angel. It's all the angels and all the prophets and us, us right now, reading this book. If we keep the words of this book. The command to worship God is a strong reminder then, not just for John, right, who literally is trying to worship this angel, being told, worship God, John, not me, but it's also a powerful message for us reading this letter as well. We need to remember this is authentic prophecy and that our focus needs to be on the Lord. So we can be sure that this will happen. We can be sure it's going to happen soon, although never as soon as we like. And we need to worship God and trust in his word. You might be saying, well, Rabbi Jerry, don't. I mean, I've been with you for a year or plus with you and Rabbi Glenn in this book of Revelation, Rabbi Bible. Yeah, trust God and obey. <clears throat> and yet, so many don't. As we see in the next two verses. Questions? Not see anything online? We'll check the YouTubes. Verses 10 and 11. Okay, on time. And he said to me, Do not seal up the words of the prophecy of this book, for the time is near. Let the evildoer still do evil, and the filthy still be filthy, and the righteous still do right, and the holy still be holy. The word apocalypsis. Apocalypse, right, in Greek means 
Revelation, shock, that's what we call the book in English, but it also means unveiling. We talked about this way, way back in the introduction, right? The unveiling. Thus, these visions need to be unveiled and shared with all people because the time of their occurrence is drawing near, right? If you remember, there was a point in Revelation, I believe it was the thunder, the voices of thunder with the thunderclaps, right? Seal up these words, John. Don't record what you hear here. But the rest of it, God said, record it, share it. You need to know these things. God will tell us what we need to know, right? Whatever we need to know, God's going to communicate to us what it is we ought to know. And what we don't need to know, he'll tell us that too. You know, poor Peter learned that the hard way, right? When he's walking, you know, Yeshua was walking with his uh, inner circle of disciples. I believe it was Peter, right, who uh, hears him talking. He's like, what are you guys talking about? Yeshua says, none of your business. It's not for you to know. If I wanted you to know, I would tell you. And that's going on here. These are things he wants us to know, so he is telling us, and telling John and us to say, to say, this isn't something you hide. You know, we have this, I, I talk about this a lot. I'm getting on first soapbox, we'll say. Probably second one at some point. But, um, you know, we talk, I talk a lot about secret truth, right? Human beings have this obsession with secret truth, right? Secret documents, secret lost Bible books, Bible codes, you know, secret societies with their secret documents, right? People are like, I want to read that, right? Da Vinci Code stuff, right? If it's buried underground and has been guarded for a couple thousand years and there's an Indiana Jones, you know, trap in front of it, we're like, ooh, this has to be really true. Not necessarily, okay? And basically, no, right? In contrast to this, you know, and this is even in Judaism with Kabbalah, right? Jewish mysticism, right? You have to go through some hoops. You have to be a man, and you have to be at least 40 years old, married, to be studied in Torah before you're really supposed to ever touch Kabbalah, right? Because it's secret and powerful, and you've got to earn your way to get to that. God's truth is not like that. God does not hide the truth from us, right? It's like a lamp. Its light shines, right? We are as carriers of God's truth with his Holy Spirit, right? We're told to shine our light before others, not make them jump through 16 hoops to learn the secret truth about God. If we did that, there would be people who would be more interested in learning it. And that's the sad truth. But God's word is meant to be unveiled. And people, you know, they got to hear. They got to hear. I think uh, when I when I think about this stuff, you know, I, I think again about the, the secret truth and this obsession. I I think about how many people disparage God's word or dismiss it simply because of how readily available it is, because how easy it is to hear about the Bible, or they grew up maybe in a believing household. So, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week, I think, in the Saturday morning discussion about how. You know, we're very casual with God, particularly if we grew up in sort of a church setting. Maybe we walked away from it, right? A lot of people who grew up in it, they just have this casual, very blasé attitude towards God, um, completely contrary to it. You know, it's a blessing. Not only do we live in a country that we can freely assemble and discuss God's truth still, you don't know for how long. Revelation tells us eventually that will stop, okay? Um, but that God makes these things so easy and accessible to us. Even in this day, you know, uh, in the day of John, you know, there were so many people, the apostles, and they were discipling others, going out to the corners of the world to spread the good news, using miracles and signs as part of that, and uh, that God desired for all people to be saved. And he didn't just, he wasn't giving lip service to that. He really meant it, and he meant it by spreading this good news. So just something, just something to think about. But uh, getting back into it here is um, these visions need to be unveiled and shared with all people because the time of their occurrence is drawing near. Echoing Daniel 12, 9 through 10, there is an ironic call for evildoers to continue to do evil. The sense here is that even after hearing about their fate, even knowing these words are trustworthy, fallen humanity will continue to do evil. And that's the irony why he's saying what he's saying here. Let the evildoer continue evil. You share, you share these words with somebody, right? You read them the whole book of Revelation, sit them down. You go, ah, oh, that's a nice story. I'm going to continue living my life the way I want to live. 
You say, well, do you understand that what this says is that your life will be one of eternal torment and punishment? You will be unable to enjoy these blessings? Yeah, sure. I don't believe you. Or, you know, I want to, or maybe I do kind of believe you, but, you know, that's not the kind of God I want to serve because he's not doing things the way I want him to do things. No, you know, all the excuses, all the reasons, both serious and not serious. You say, well, how can that be? You know, people, you know, how, again, how can people see the works of God at this time, the, the terrible plagues and still curse God? It's part of our fallen human nature. So let those who do evil continue to do evil, and let those who do right continue to do what is right. Human beings right now are still permitted to choose godliness or sinfulness because these events have not happened yet. Key word there is yet. You still have a choice right now. But we know exactly what the consequences will be for us if we continue to do evil or if we continue to be holy and faithful. God spells it out for us in the plainest of terms what our reward will be on each side of that. And again, there's only two paths. There's no third path. But people like to say, oh, you know, in many ways, Revelation is complicated, right? We, I've spent a lot of time in Greek, and I talked to you about all the different ways people look at things, right? You know, we have to go back and look at Daniel, right? There's a reason why we spent, like, close to a year going through Genesis up to Revelation, looking at eschatology passages, right? In many ways, Revelation is, I would say, is the most difficult book of the Bible. But just to get the simple sense of the book, you don't need to be a Bible scholar, Okay, are there a lot of things that might be kind of confusing, like with the, with the symbols and things? But if you were to read Revelation 1 through 22, without any more knowledge and maybe just some cursory knowledge of Scripture, you've never read you know, the Bible before in any serious way, you're a new believer, you could come away with the main things you need to know about this book, which is that God is real, he is on his throne, and there is a reward for belief and a reward for unbelief eternal punishment, or eternal life. It's spelled out for us. You don't need to be a Bible scholar for that. And again, this is why we know it's true. Because God is not a God of confusion. The devil is. The devil is the father of lies, not God. It's the one thing God cannot do, he says, is lie. Hebrews tells us that. And all of God's word, of course, as well. But spelled out explicitly right in Hebrews. God, you know, God says, come, let us reason together, he says in Isaiah, right? God wants us to know these things, and he said it in a very clear way. There's more to learn if you want to go deeper, but for those who are simple, who don't want to, who are like, you know, I just want to know the basics, it's right there for you. You don't need a rabbi to explain it to you. It's clear enough. So we know what's going to happen. Continuing on. Behold, pay attention, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Messiah Yeshua now interjects again. And echoing Revelation 1, right, all these titles, we went through what they all mean in Revelation 1. If you want to go through it again, pull up those notes tells us that he is the sovereign, eternal king of the universe. Just a reminder, again, of who is the one who is authorizing these things. It's God. He has the power and authority to bring the eternal rewards promised in this book and the eternal punishments. That's why it comes right after this. He says, you want to do evil? Continue to do evil. You want to do good? Continue to do good. But Behold, pay attention. Messiah Yeshua says, I am coming soon, and I will bring my recompense. I will bring my judgment with me. The judgment, what judgment, Messiah Yeshua? The judgment you just read about here in Revelation. The judgment he will give from his throne. Eternal life or eternal damnation. Because he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the first and the last. He is the beginning and the end. We're not. No emperor is, right? We, we talked about this in Revelation 1, the idea of the sovereignty of God. Again, you know, just remember who it is. You know, one of the things you say is, you know, sometimes when people step up to us, maybe our kids or somebody, we say, you know, think about who you're talking to before you say that, right? Think about who you're talking to before you do that. 
right? That's, there's a little bit of that here in all of Revelation. It's just think twice about who it is you're dismissing when you say, I don't care about what this book has to say. Because you will care, right? It's not a threat. It's a promise. It's a promise of God. So now again, the reminder of uh, judgment, but now we move to the final beatitude. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs, sorcerers, sexually immoral, murderers, idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Yeshua, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches, the ecclesias. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. Pronouncing the seventh beatitude, Messiah Yeshua invokes again the promise of Revelation 3, 4, that those who are his disciples will experience forgiveness and cleansing of their sins. That's what it means for our robes to be washed. It is only through the forgiveness of our sins, through his blood, that we have any right to enter the new Jerusalem, right? If you are not, we read this before, right, in previous chapters. If our name is not found in the Lamb's book of life, we don't get in the gate. We don't get to experience this. You know, you can't say you know a guy. You're either in the book or you're not in the book. You're either in the city or you're not in the city. And who is in the city? It's those who overcome. Those who are God's disciples. Those who wish to worship with him and rule with him forever. And our names are in the book because of what he has accomplished for us and not our righteousness. We can't buy our way into heaven. We can't lie our way into heaven. We can't justify ourselves so that we get to go to heaven. You know, again, it's basic stuff, but this is, again, we're at the end of this. This is the reinforcement. This is the conclusion of all of God's word, right? You know, that God is the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through him. Nobody gets to go to New Jerusalem except through him. If you got a problem with that, take it up with the Alpha and the Omega, okay? I'm, I'm small potatoes, all right? It ain't my words. You know, if you want to go and argue before the throne of God, be my guest. It's probably not going to go very well. In contrast, those who are not saved are not allowed to ever enter the city. All those who are depraved in their sinfulness, you're like, why is God calling out the dogs here, right? I got lots. I like dogs, right? My girlfriend has beagles. They're very cute, sometimes annoying, but usually very cute. I'm sure many of you are dog lovers. Um, well, in the ancient world, dogs weren't really as loved as they are now. Right? There were scavengers, wild dogs, right? We see this uh, in Proverbs and particularly in the Gospels, right? Um, so the idea here of dogs are like, you know, scavengers, wild people, you know, depraved. And then we have the sorcerers, those who love, um, you know, paganism, false religions, sexually immoral, all types of sexual immorality, Okay. You know, he didn't have to go through a whole alphabet of letters and describe each one of the sexual acts that don't let you get into heaven. You know, in today's day, I'm sure there are people who would really wish he would do that so they could figure out what is and isn't allowed. Okay, sexual immorality. If you're wondering what that is, go back to the Torah. Go back to the rest of God's word. It's spelled out in there. You know it. Murderers, idolaters, everyone who loves and practices falsehood. All those people who really love the beast in Babylon. Right? They don't get to go in. They've chosen who they love. They've taken the seal of the one they love. And they get to dwell forever with the one they love. As I said before. The point here is we need to know for sure which group we're a part of. Are you in the city? Or are you out? Want to be in. We are again told he will return soon because he is the promised descendant of David. So we can be sure that all these events will take place. Just as his first coming was prophesied, right, and fulfilled, so it shall be with his second coming. This testimony is for the original seven communities identified earlier in Revelation, but it's also for all believers worldwide. This again echoes Revelation 1. And he says she loves dogs. And she's got a lot of likes and hearts next to that one. <laughs> 
So, Verse 17. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. So in response to the powerful words of Messiah Yeshua, John appeals to all of us to commit to be disciples of the Lord. The Holy Spirit desires for the Lord to return soon and to make all things new. That's the Spirit here. The bride, Messiah's community throughout all time. This is the universal church. This is the ecclesia. Okay? This is everybody throughout all time who will dwell in the new Jerusalem forever. Jews and Gentiles, male and female. They desire for Messiah Yeshua to return soon. Come, Lord Yeshua, come. His community desires to dwell with him forever. And those who read this letter should also say come when hearing these words. Each of us should desire his return as well. Now the use of this word, you know, come Lord, right, return, shifts from welcoming the Lord's return to a direct invitation for all of us reading this letter. This is like from a preacher's standpoint, it's very good, right? He's saying, the Holy Spirit says, Lord, return. The bride of Messiah says, Lord, return. Come, Lord Yeshua. And all of us who hear should say it as well, right? Amen, amen. And then it shifts. And let the one who is thirsty, so you're not part of those three groups, right? So you're not the Holy Spirit. You're not the bride. You know, those who are throughout all the time. And then those who are reading this letter who are believers, right? You're not part of these three groups. Well, you're also invited to. The one who is thirsty, let them come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. If we are thirsty or spiritually dehydrated, we are invited to experience the living waters of the Lord. Again, going back all the way to John 4, I think of when I read this, right? You know, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for living waters, and I would give them to you. Lord, where is this water that I may drink of it so I don't have to be thirsty evermore? Not understanding. And then she continues to interact with him. And then she comes in, you must be the Messiah, right? And then she drops her water jug because she's experienced those living waters. And she goes and she runs to tell all her people about what she has seen and heard. And they come out to see it for themselves. They're thirsty spiritually. They're like, is this really the Messiah? They check him out. They find that he is trustworthy and true. They put his, their trust in him. That same invitation that Messiah Yeshua gave that Samaritan woman is what he gives to each of us. Each of us reading this letter, if we are not believers. You know, it's an altar call, in a sense. This is a gift we cannot earn and will satisfy the deep Messiah-shaped hole in our hearts. Any questions so far? All right. Eh, we're doing okay time. Verses 18, 19. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city which are described in this book. That's a serious, serious warning. And these verses are most likely Messiah Yeshua speaking again, but also could be John through the Holy Spirit. doesn't matter. What we can be sure of is that these words are trustworthy and true, which means you don't mess with this letter. And by extension, you don't mess with God's word. You don't tamper with it. You know, as we've talked about throughout this study, as I get on my little soapboxes, there are so many today who twist the words of Revelation and also twist the rest of God's word, who add to and who take away. These verses promise that those who so foolishly manipulate the word of God will experience eternal punishment. And that's a promise too. You don't mess with God's word. Okay? Because there's a lot of, why is this here? Because clearly as we see today, 
There's a lot of profit short-term in this earth to be gained by tampering with God's word. You get to be very popular in this world if you twist the word of God, twist revelation to suit the desires of certain groups of people, right? You can become a very popular, quote-unquote, pastor or teacher by manipulating God's word. And guess what? This wasn't just an issue today. It was an issue during the time of the apostles, right? What are many of the epistles about? False teachers. What did Messiah Yeshua warn? False teachers are here now, and there'll be even more before the final false teacher, the false prophet, right, that we talked about. There's a lot, short-term perhaps, to be gained, but the eternal consequences are terrible. You don't screw around with God's word. This is something I take I'm not just saying this, like, you know, just to, to hit a point home. This is something I think about when I teach and preach. This is why Rabbi and Lord, if you're here on Saturday, sometimes he'll go up right after someone speaks, or the next week he'll issue a minor correction on something, right, a specific word. You might say, well, Rabbi and Lord, what, do we really need to spend five minutes explaining why, you know, I, somebody misspoke the previous week? Yes, because we have to handle God's word correctly, because it's that serious. So we do do that, right? And that's part of taking God's word seriously. People who don't take God's word that seriously, it's dangerous. And definitely every false teacher will not take God's word that seriously. They read this and they ignore it. Let the evildoer continue to do evil. Eh, doesn't apply to me. I'm going to go on and have my ministry. I can still buy my private jet. I can teach my prosperity gospel. Who cares? You know, I probably don't even believe God is real. All right, off that soapbox. The end of the Bible. He who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Yeshua. The grace of the Lord Yeshua be with all. Amen. It's an old, old uh, song we sing here at Shema. Come, Lord Yeshua, come. I always love that one. Um, I think it's been a while since we, re- we did that one. Um, we mentioned Rabbi Glenn at some point. But uh, love that song. Love the way this ends. The revelation in all of God's word ends with these final two verses. In them, John reminds us once again, we have the sure promise of the Lord that his return will happen. To all these things, the Apostle John prays that it would be so and adds his desire to the Holy Spirit, Messiah's community, and hopefully us reading this book. Amen. Come, Lord Yeshua. Like the epistles, this letter closes with a prayer that the unmerited favor of our God would be with all those who read and believe these words. Amen. Amen. The end of Revelation is in many ways a new beginning. It is the end of this chapter in the story of humanity and the beginning of eternal paradise. The Lord is indeed making all things new and even better than they were in the Garden of Eden. A lot of Revelation 20 and 21 is like, but wait, there's more, right? It's so good, but wait, there's more. Consequently, we can be sure that these words are trustworthy and true. We must also be sure to obey them and be true disciples of the Lord if we want to experience the blessings found in the new Jerusalem. Each of us are invited to come and join the wedding party of the Lord as we wait for that glorious day of his return. The main application of this chapter is we must know where we are heading. As long as we still draw breath and these events have not taken place, there is still time to change the path we are on. The day of the Lord is soon coming. It will be a day of dark and terrible judgment for wicked, unbelieving humanity. It will also be a day of blessing and reward for those who overcome. This is the news we must share with a lost and dying world, inviting humanity to come and experience the source of living waters. And with that promise, with that ammunition, right, with all this in the epilogue, this is where God's word ends. And, you know, when we end Revelation, there's so much more we want to ask. There's so much more you probably want to know. We'll know in paradise. 
But God has told us everything we need to know. Not everything we want to know. Same with Genesis. There's a lot in Genesis, right? Especially the first couple of chapters. But we really want to know more about what's going on in creation, God. There's a lot of arguments about this, right? You know, is it old earth? Is it young earth? Is it all these things, you know? We, why didn't God give us more details? He gave us everything we needed to know. And he gave us everything we needed to know here. So ends the revelation, the unveiling. Just as I, as a code, I guess, on this, I would just say, you know, Rabbi Glenn will be you know, going through this again, bringing out some details and stuff, but this will basically, you know, we're going to do a wrap-up, but, you know, just with a couple minutes you guys left, just some final thoughts from me off the page here. Um, you know, as we, as you hopefully look back on this study, and thank you so much for sticking out with us for over a year, close to probably two years with our eschatology study, you know, not only I hope you have a deeper understanding of God's word, but hopefully you have learned or relearned or been reminded of how to apply to your lives. You know, when it, you know, how do we share this, right? You know, do I just plop, you know, a stack of Rabbi Jerry and Rabbi Glenn's notes in front of somebody and just go page by page with them? You could do that, but their eyes, especially if it's my notes, especially those first couple weeks, oh, Lord, those, their eyes are going to roll into the back of their head and they're going to pass out, okay? What it really is is, you know, seeing this book holistically from beginning to end, the, the great themes, this idea here that we find here at the end and at the beginning, that God is sovereign, that we need to know where we're going. This is what you present to people, whether they claim to be believers or not. And they say, what is Revelation about? You say, it's not about, you know, they say, well, is it, you know, the mark of the beast? No, 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 listen, we're not going to go to the mark of the beast. We're not going to go talk about the false prophet or the antichrist right now. Okay, let me tell you, let's look at just, all you need to do is look at the first three chapters and the last two. Okay. You can, you know, 19, you know, you want to go around. But those, that's the thing. Is the happy ending here is at the end. You know, that God is sovereign king, that he is the Alpha and the Omega, and the Omega, he is God, he is sovereign. Messiah Yeshua is returning. His return is coming soon, sooner than you think. Not as soon as we want, but sooner than you think. And that what it means to be a believer, to be an overcomer, is described in 2 or 3, but here at the end we see what does it mean to be an overcomer? It means to want the Lord to return. Come, Lord Yeshua. Right? That is the hope of all of Messiah's community throughout all time. That's the hope of Moses and Abraham, the desire for Lord, the Lord to return, right? So many verses, right? Lord, how long till you return? Soon, please, Lord, that desire, that burden in our hearts, that's part of how we know we really are saved, is a desire to see the Lord, right? Humanity does not want Yeshua to come back, right? Fallen humanity, the world we live in, not only do they dismiss this book, but if it is true, they don't want it to happen at all. None of it. You know, could Jesus come back? Sure, but only if it's the version of Jesus, hippie Jesus that I like. When Jesus comes back, it says, you know, everybody but Hitler is fine, right? Or everybody but the people I don't like is fine, right? Not the real version of Messiah Yeshua, but this creation of our minds. And no judgment, no destruction of the earth. You know, I want it to be very different. Tough cookies, you know? That's not the reality. The reality is the Lord will soon return and he will bring his rewards with him. Know what you're doing. All right, with that, we're going to close in prayer. Any final questions, final thoughts online as well? Uh, check in the YouTubes. Otherwise, we're going to wrap up here. Like I said, next week, Lord willing, Rabbi Glenn will go back over this and hit some other points. There's so much. And I mean, and also just as a final, as I just wait to make sure nobody else is asking questions, just as a final thing, you know, we've, with me and Rabbi Glenn, you say we've been in this a year and a half. We really only scratched the surface of Revelation. Okay, we, we got some major points. There's so much more that's been left, as I say, on the cutting room floor. There's so much more with good commentaries and now with the tools we've equipped you with to go through. You know, don't wait for another like eight years till we do this again or something to read the Revelation. You know, don't be afraid to read it. Don't be afraid to share with others, you know, and share with them the truth of this book. All right, well, I'm getting some nice comments, which is very sweet. Um, but since we have no questions, we're going to wrap up here. As always, though, um, if you do have questions, you can always email us at info at shema.com. 
Uh, anything else, housekeeping, I should say, before we pray and close? Uh, again, just we moved over to church track uh, for our giving. So if you haven't signed up for that, if you've been doing recurring giving, please cancel your recurring giving on Tively and move it over to church track if you like. Um, we've had a couple people like, you know, if I make the new account, does the old thing still work? It does until you turn it off. If you have any issues with that, you can email me. Um, just do info at shema.com. It'll get to me. I'll get in touch with you. Um, and Lord willing, please be with us uh, this Saturday. So, all right, with that, let's pray and be done. Avina Malkano, our Father King Lord, thank you that your return will be here soon. Lord, I pray that this study, as we wrap it up the next couple weeks, has been edifying to everybody. I know I've learned a lot, uh, been chastised and admonished and encouraged. Um, in many different ways as I've prepared this study and preached through it, Lord, and taught through it. I pray it be the so for each one of us uh, here with us tonight and those who aren't able to be with us who have been tracking, though, with this study. I pray that we would not just end our study in Revelation here, but continue on in the ways that you would have us to in the seasons of our life that we have left. And Lord, return soon. And all God's people said, Amen. Thank you guys so much. Thank you.